So that sermon series Katie mentioned, Cabinet of Colloquial Curiosities, features six almost obsolete words that have almost vanished from the English language. We're using these words to help us look at the life of Jesus as it comes to us from the Gospel according to St. John. If you want to know what inspired this series, you can look in the worship notes in the bulletin. Today, a well-known story from John chapter 5. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, from whatever diseases that person had. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once, the man was made well, and he took up his mat and walked. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1938, Congress appropriated funds for the construction of a new naval medical center in the capital, but the planned hospital was turning out to be too big and too tall to fit comfortably in the district, and so they scouted out nearby locations and ended up considering 80 different possibilities. Even President Roosevelt got in on the search. One day in July of 1938, the president had his driver take him a few miles north of the district to a tiny, leafy village with almost no people in it. And when the president heard that the name of this village was Bethesda, He flung open the car door, planted his cane in the earth, and said, this is the place. That Naval Medical Center would eventually become known as the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Bethesda, Maryland, of course, is named after a pool in Jerusalem where Jesus healed a man who'd been sick for 38 years. A bunch of you have been to this pool, including a group Kathy and I escorted in 2016. Aptly, since 1940, Bethesda, Maryland has been a place of healing. It is the place where orthopedists and physical therapists and prosthetists help lame men walk and paralytics roll up their mat or wheel their hospital beds into storage. The Bethesda pool in Jerusalem is fed by subterranean springs, and so the water sometimes roils and bubbles up. And legend had it that the waters were vexed by an angel of the Lord. And if you were the first to climb into the pool when the waters were roiling, you would be healed of whatever ailments afflicted you. John tells us that one man had been lying next to that pool for 38 years. 
Now, why does John share that particular detail with us, and what does he mean for us to understand thereby? Is this an example of commendable persistence or of abject sloth? I think it could be either, and I'll let you decide. On the one hand, this man is intensely committed to that ancient legend. He has hitched his wagon to this angelic legend. He will not let it go. He really believes it. He won't quit. And so maybe we're meant to admire this. On the other hand, you've got to wonder whether after 38 years, it's well past time for this man to try something new. I don't know, maybe get a friend to pick him up and throw him in the pool at the right moment or wander over to the neighborhood orthopedist or neurologist for an educated diagnosis. I don't know. Maybe, you know, try something new, dude. You know the ancient definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Even Jesus wonders if he really wants to be healed. When he finds out this guy has been there for 38 years, he says to the man, do you even want to be made well? Lame question, right? Pardon the pun. The man can't walk. Of course he wants to be made well. But Jesus wonders if he's really trying that hard. And so I'll let you decide if this is an example of commendable persistence or of abject sloth. But in either case, it is an example of how we confront the obstacles that prevent us from living the fullest life we're capable of. And now, once again, I want to reach into my cabinet of colloquial curiosities and fetch an eccentric word, afrocotropism. Now, bear with me for a moment, please. I know that this word is a hideous sesquipedalian monstrosity that you can't pronounce. And yet, since I found out what it meant, I've been inspired by it. Raise your hand if you know what afrocotropism means. Wait, I can't see you. Brag in the chat box if you already know what afrocotropism means. It's a little different from the other words in Paul Anthony Jones' clever little collection. First of all, it's newer. Dates back to 1899, 19th century, almost 20th century. All those other words in the book are from the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th century. This one's fairly new. Also, unlike the others, this word is still hanging out on the fringes of the English language. Most of those other words have vanished from English. They're obsolete, but afrocotropism kind of hangs out on the fringes of the English language. You won't find it in any dictionaries, or if you do find it in a dictionary, bring it to me, and I'll buy you dinner for four. You won't find it in any dictionaries, but it hangs out on the fringes of the language. For instance, botanists and arborists use it. Now, as you might guess, afrocotropism is of Greek origin. It comes from the Greek preposition af, which means off or away, and the Greek noun erko, which means fence or barrier or wall, and the more familiar construction tropism, which we know the meaning of. Tropism means growing. We know the word heliotropic, for instance, which refers to a plant or a follow which could curve and bend and follow the sun in its circuit across the sky to maximize its sunlight. Afrocotropism is the opposite of heliotropic. 
Afrocatropism refers to the growing away from an obstacle or the swallowing up of an obstacle. So, for instance, to get to the water in the earth beneath, follow the cracks between the bricks. Twenty years ago, a seed lodged in the crevice of this ruin, not an entirely promising location for life. And yet, over the years, the seed pressed its roots down through the cracks to the earth and thrust its trunk up this meandering path to the sunlight. It looks like it's flourishing, even though it was born and raised in a sketchy neighborhood. This tree, perched on a puny pedestal, got thirsty and somehow managed to thrust a root across 20 yards of empty space to the mainland where the water is. These trees didn't grow away from their obstacle, but swallowed them up and made them part of their own constitution. The sign says, stop. But apparently this tree can't read. This tree thinks the sign says detour. And so that's just what it does. It curves around what's hindering its progress. So afrocatropism is a testament to life's irrepressible urge to flourish and to keep going and to keep growing. When you run into a wall, you grow over it or around it or through it or away from it, or you swallow it up and make it part of your own constitution. For instance, if your family treasures its reputation more than it treasures your children, grow away from it. 5,000 miles if necessary. Stop. Detour. Life again, finally, after two miserable years. Recently, the Red Sox hired Bianca Smith as a minor league coach in its farm system. She's the first black woman to rise to that lofty pinnacle. Bianca is 30 years old. Her mother taught her to play baseball when she was three years old and also to be an avid Yankees fan when she was growing up. She would always wear a Yankees uniform with number two on the back, Derek Jeter. At Dartmouth, she was the manager of the men's baseball team. She played two years of varsity softball. She even played on the men's club baseball team, the only woman so to do. After Dartmouth, she earned two more advanced degrees at Case Western. And so, with an Ivy League undergraduate degree and these two master's degrees, Bianca could do anything she wanted in the back office of a sports organization, but Bianca didn't want to be in the back office. She wanted to be on the field. Everybody told her this was impossible. Not because she is black, Jackie Robinson forged that path for her 75 years ago, not because she is black, though she is, but because she is a woman. She kept at it. She is afrocotropic. She just keeps going and growing. 
She had all this student debt, and she had to pay the rent. And so while she was waiting for the world of baseball to notice her, she worked eight jobs at a time, eight jobs at once. You heard me right. She worked in an Amazon warehouse. She worked at Target. She worked at Dollar Tree. She drove for Uber Eats. She was a tour guide. She took tickets at the soccer stadium. She was an assistant baseball coach at the University of Dallas. Eight jobs waiting to get noticed a college baseball coach, this is not going to happen. Nobody will ever hire you. Did this stop her? No, it just steeled her resolve. She said, I'm going to make my resume so impressive, they can't say no. In this world of baseball, you see, a woman has to be twice as good to be considered half as able. Today, when she walks out of the dugout on the baseball field, everybody asks her, so which player are you dating? So what? Keep going. And so Bianca Smith is going to take this coaching job with the Boston Red Sox, even though as a Yankees fan, she grew up hating the Red Sox. Did you know that for the last 20 years, nursing has been year after year the most trusted profession. In surveys, people answer nursing when they're asked the most trusted profession. And at this ominous anniversary, after this harrowing year, we found out why, right? Recently, the Times attached body cams to two nurses at a COVID-19 ICU in Phoenix. And so... We watched them as they brushed the patient's teeth and flipped them over and then flipped them back over and over again. And as they held these patients' hands as they transitioned to whatever world comes next, as their families watched and wept from afar, all for $35 an hour. And we found out that during a pandemic, the leadership doesn't come from spiritual gurus, certainly not from politicians, or at least not from the politicians we have, and maybe not from even doctors, but from undersung heroes who work quietly in the shadows. One of these nurses says, it's in our DNA. We save people. And so on your shift to face so much death, to have to say goodbye to so many of these patients you've been caring for for weeks. It's just really, really hard. These nurses are afrikatropic. They keep going. They have confronted the most menacing obstacle of them all, death over and over and over again. They can't keep everybody alive, but they keep going and they keep growing. And so guard life fiercely, push forward to goodness through the nooks and crannies in the flinty rock, swerve around the stop sign telling you you can't go any further and strive ahead with compassion in your crooked trajectory. Keep going and keep growing We have lost so much during this miserable year, but we have been well served by the undersung, and we're going to be all right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.